it's something that I still continue to struggle with. I've been back in the United States almost a year now. I was this different person, but everybody else and everything else here stayed the same. And so I felt not that I had grown my space, but I felt that I didn't fit here anymore. I was thinking in a different language. My instinct was to want to reply in Turkish rather than in English. Uh, And so it was really hard to adjust to recognizing that I wasn't going anywhere else. This was home for me. And home is great, but it's just, it's a different space. And I was like, okay, who am I? I was frustrated because everybody said, go abroad, live abroad, you're going to love it. But nobody told me that when I came back, I was going to struggle. And I didn't know who I was upset with, but I was just upset because I was feeling like this and I didn't have anybody to connect with that would understand this feeling. Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of Intercultural Insiders. My name is John McGraw, and I help newcomers, expats, and businesses connect across cultures to succeed in less time and pain. I am the founder of Hyaku Coaching, which is dedicated to helping you create your pathway to success in a new culture. The purpose of Intercultural Insiders is to share the stories of people with intercultural experiences. If you're feeling isolated or lost, you can hear something from the guests' experiences that could help you, even if it's just a reminder that you're not alone. And today's guest is Courtney Bailey, part one of a two-part interview. Courtney is an English lecturer and education advocate. She has traveled to various countries throughout Central and South America, Europe and Eurasia, and she's served in multiple organizations, helping refugees, women, and English learners all over the world. We'll be talking about when she was in Turkey, Courtney chose to see the curiosity of others as an opportunity for cultural exchange. Also, the experiences of returning home and the impact of reverse culture shock and finding support from others with similar experiences. This is something that I have personal um, experience with having lived in Japan for several years and coming back in many ways was more difficult than it was going to Japan in the first place because of the growth that happened and the change. And again, we talk more about that in today's session. And also Courtney talks about her children's adjustment to life and the school system in Turkey. So this episode is quite personal in terms of going to another culture and returning back. I think that this is going to be of interest for people who are coming to Canada or have left Canada and returned back or wherever you are in the world, wherever you are from, wherever you are going to, wherever you have returned from. Without further wait, let's get into part one of the conversation with Courtney Bale. Courtney, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you so much for having me on today. 
My name again is Courtney Bailey. I am an international educator. I teach English as a foreign language, most recently in Izmir, Turkey. I'm back in the States right now, and so I serve as an English language lecturer at the University of South Carolina. Also, I work as a professional business coach at a small HBCU here in South Carolina, Beth Allen University. I'm also an international TEFL teacher trainer. So all the teachers that are hopeful to go abroad and to serve in international spaces, I get to train them and help them with the pedagogy and things like this. So that's something that I'm really proud of. And then finally, I'm an advocate and a mentor in a lot of different international spaces. As someone with a background in ESL myself, I know that there are many paths that people take to go into that direction. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about how did you end up in this space? Yeah, that's a great question. And I love it. My background is actually in teaching Spanish. I teach K-12 Spanish here in the United States, but I've always, since I was a little girl, wanted to live abroad. I just felt like I needed to go and explore and see the world. And so I figure the easiest way to do that, maybe the best way to do that is to earn some certification that as a, a vessel to get me to where I wanted to go. So I did some research and I vacillated on the decision to actually enroll in a TEFL certification course for years because I had actually done a lot of other things before actually making the decision. And as I said, I had a background in Spanish and not necessarily in English. So I, I felt some self-defeating feelings there. But then I thought, you know what, I'm not getting any younger. If I'm going to do it, I need to do it now. So finally, I enrolled in, in this course and it was amazing. And so I actually was able to use a lot of my previous teaching experience in Spanish as a catalyst to help me in this role. I ended up earning my TEFL certificate in October of 2019, and by November 4th, I was in Turkey. So it was a really quick kind of segue there, and I was just ready to jump in and just let this experience develop me, and it really, truly has. But again, I'm so thankful for the experience. I actually went with International TEFL Academy, and it was just really a comprehensive, all-inclusive course that provided me with a lot of the framework and the foundation that I needed to be successful. And then I was able to build upon that. I could see the principles of language instruction carrying over. And you've mentioned that you've spent time not only in Turkey, but in many other parts of the world as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about some of your experiences and maybe you could talk a little bit about how it was for you. It's different because I always try to go as a traveler, not necessarily a tourist, wherever I'm going. And so I've had the pleasure, the privilege to go to lots of different countries, including some of my favorites are Portugal and Spain and Cuba, Colombia and South America. And um, gosh, the Dominican Republic, I've been to Iceland and I've been affected by all of those different countries. I always say whenever you travel, you don't return as the same person because you, of course, will have your own products and practices and perspectives but then you've had the opportunity to really be immersed in a culture that's not your own. And so it changes who you are. I really feel that I'm different every single time I, I go on a journey and I return home. But with going to Turkey, it was a completely different experience because I had only ever been there one time and it was in a completely different region. But when I was there, I really fell in love with just the work of the people. It was something that just really spoke to me and really resonated with me. And I said, you know what? I can really see myself living here. And so actually when I uh, took my TEFL certification course, I just said, you know what? I just want to go abroad. So I said, I'm, I'm going to shoot to Portugal, Spain, and Turkey. Wherever I have an opportunity first, I'm going. And it ended up being Turkey. 
But it's really interesting because Turkey is different than anything that I've ever experienced before. And there's not a lot of people of color. So even from that perspective, that was very interesting for me, the way that I was received in that capacity, because I moved to Izmir, which is more on the western coast of, of Turkey. And it's one of the larger cities, the third largest city in Turkey. And it was really interesting, my walk there. And I recognized, I always say that there's a responsibility with traveling because you're serving as a representative of your culture, of people that look like you, of your nationality. And so that was something that I took really seriously. And I wanted to make sure that I was walking with poise and with decorum and that I was representing my nation and the people that look like me very well. It was a great experience and I will forever be connected with Turkey and actually going back tomorrow. Oh, fantastic. That's great. And you mentioned when you travel, you go as a traveler as mm -hmm. opposed to a tourist. And you've already mentioned a little bit about it in terms of how you represent yourself. But could you explain a little bit more about what that means to you? Yeah, absolutely. So I like to go off the beaten path. So I, of course, doing lots of touristy, well-known things is fun and, and it can be very exciting. But I want to sit down and have a meal with a local family. I want you to teach me your culture. I want to go into a mosque. I want to understand your products, practices, and perspectives. So that way I can understand. There's little bits of culture that I like to take with me. And that's really my souvenir. My souvenirs are those perspectives and those practices that I can bring back with me and make myself a better person and then make extensions of me better people, whether that's my students here in the United States, my own children, my spouse, anyone. So and it's important to me that um, I develop myself so that way that can ripple out and radiate to others within my uh, extension. I appreciate that viewpoint of being able to learn about those different perspectives and taking mm -hmm. something with you. So. Now, sometimes this can be a, a question of how much to take in because there, I think particularly when someone is in another culture for a length of time, okay. there can sometimes be a question of identity, the concern of wanting to adapt versus being true to yourself. And for yeah. people who might be struggling with that, what kind of things would you suggest? That's actually a great question. I'm so glad that you asked that. And I, I would say to connect with other people that have been in that role or in that situation, because there's a wisdom there. And I'm sure that anyone that has stayed for a longer length of time outside of their own culture, there is that struggle there with identity and who am I and how have I developed it? I have definitely struggled with that. But I've connected with a group of individuals. I'm actually a part of several uh, Facebook groups and, and LinkedIn groups. And I've just connected with individuals that are like-minded. So that, that way I can actually feel safe enough to share that I'm having some challenges or some struggles with my identity as it relates to my interaction with other cultures and just my, my immersion with different cultures. So I think that, as I said, uh, connecting with other people that have been in that situation is going to be extremely helpful. And, and then also to recognizing that Sometimes there's a quote that says growth really never came from comfort zones or something like that. I'm, I'm misquoting it. But what I'm trying to say is we lean into discomfort and, and we should be researching and analyzing and looking for that growth. Uh, and so when we're feeling uncomfortable, it's probably because we're growing. And so we should really lean into that and see what it's about rather than be afraid of it. That's really what it is all about, finding those experiences and finding opportunities for growth. You also did briefly mention being, as you said, a person of color in an area where there really aren't so many. <laughs> there are people that look like me in Turkey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, 
can you talk more to, about sure. that experience? Sure. I'd been to the Black Sea region and that was just for a few short days. It wasn't an extended length of time at all. So I really had just a quick snapshot of a different region that I didn't move to. So I didn't know quite what to expect, although I did do research. So I, I knew going in that I would stand out. And I had to mentally prepare myself for that because there's a lot of things that happen in the media. And so it's really easy for, for others to read into that or maybe think a certain way or have stereotypes. So I was prepared to, like I said, have a certain poise and decorum about myself. And I was hyper aware of my facial expressions, my body language, my clothing, and my nonverbal cues, everything I had to be hyper aware of because I didn't want to send the wrong signal. And when I got there, I had to admit I felt extremely uncomfortable, not because there wasn't anyone else that looked like me, but it was because of the fact that I was receiving stares. I would be sitting in a coffee shop and drinking chai and people would be like snapping pictures of me with their phone trying discreetly. And I just thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? I, I felt on display um, and I didn't like that feeling. And I just, I, I really didn't know how to deal with it. And then people would come up to me and they'd say, oh, can we take a picture with you? So then I had to sit back for a second and say, oh, they're curious. It's curiosity. It's not anything else. So then I had to flip the way I was thinking. And then, of course, I was gracious about taking pictures with people. And then that would lead to these small dialogues and conversations. And, and they were just really beautiful, curious people. And so that allowed them to learn a little bit about me and my culture. And then also the same, I was able to interact with them. And even when we couldn't speak the language, it was clear that there was um, an, an intrigue there. And so I really started to admire that. And so I, I was happy then to oblige when somebody wanted to take a picture or just have a, a really brief conversation with me. And so I wanted to make time in my day if that were to happen. And it still does whenever I go. And I'm happy to give them a face-to-face, real live interaction, something that they'll hopefully hold with them and they'll use that to really put themselves in other spaces and allow other people to get to know them as well. But I, I have to admit, it was a little bit uncomfortable at first. <laughs> I admire your ability to take in the situation without judgment. To a lesser extent, I had some of that experience in mm -hmm. Japan. I don't know if I always took it as graciously <laughs> as you did, but it sounds like that you were able to move past the discomfort, at least in, in terms of how they interacted with you. How were you able to keep your mindset open in that sense where it could be be easy to take things in a, in a very defensive way, but being able to, to stay open and use it as a learning opportunity for both you and the other person. Yeah, that's a great question. And at first I did feel, like I said, I was on display and it was very uncomfortable. And one reason for that is because I do have a little bit of social anxiety, which is really interesting. People say, well, you never know it, but I actually do. So it's really uncomfortable for me to, to connect with people that I don't know or that I'm unfamiliar with. And so when you feel like everyone's looking at you, then it's very challenging. But I originally went into this with a very open mind because I definitely believe that when you go into something with expectation, you're going to get let down, right? So I was just saying, just roll with it. We just float. And that really served me well. So you have to observe and understand what's going on. But like I said, keep an open mind from the beginning without expectation. So that way you can grow from your experiences and gain a deeper understanding of what exactly is going on. So that way you can be gracious and, and open and really connect with the people that are your hosts. Assuming positive intent, at least until there's proof otherwise. So. Exactly. Of course, you need to be street smart and, and like I said, aware of your surroundings and, and be observant and things like this. But 
I, I think it's a skill to be able to read your surroundings and read the people that are near you and, and to pick up on energies and things like that. But again, a lot of it is the way in which we carry ourselves because we do give off signals, whether we're aware of that or not. But I just so happen to go into a hyper aware that I needed to be mindful of the way that I walked in my space and the way that I walked in my purpose for moving abroad. That's quite enlightening to hear that experience that you had in Turkey and what you were able to learn about yourself from that and teach others as well. When you came back to the United States, I know that you talked quite a bit about reverse culture shock, but I'd like to hear more about that. It's something that I still continue to struggle with. I've been back in the United States almost a year now. Everything in me wants to go back to Turkey or just be abroad just because I always develop when I'm in other spaces. But that was really a formative time for me academically, professionally, spiritually, emotionally, all of those things. And so when I came back, I was this different person, but everybody else and everything else here stayed the same. And so I felt not that I had grown my space, but I felt that I didn't fit here anymore. I was thinking in a different language. My instinct was to want to reply in Turkish rather than in English. And even when I was trying to speak Spanish, you know, I would always revert to Turkish. And I felt like my style of dress wasn't correct anymore for the space that I was in. Um, I was more concerned with Turkish news and Turkish culture than I was with anything that was here because that's been everything that I was consumed with. Uh, and so it was really hard to adjust to recognizing that I wasn't going anywhere else. This was home for me. And home is great, but it's just, it's a different space. And so I had to grapple with that in my mind. And you talked about identity. And I was like, okay, who am I? Because I know I'm not a Turkish person, but I feel that I have those practices and perspectives and the products. And it's that's very much a part of who I am now. So how can I have this version of me and effectively blend it with the American version of me and, and my friends. And, and they didn't understand like that weepiness or that maybe melancholy is a better word because I was just really missing the experience of being an expat and um, everything that came with it because I, I think I was able to actually recognize grow in that space. Whereas it's a lot harder to do in your own space when you're just going through the motions daily. And I know that's a hard idea to understand, but I was frustrated because everybody said, go abroad, live abroad, you're going to love it. But nobody told me that when I came back, I was going to struggle. And I didn't know who I was upset with, but I was just upset because I was feeling like this and I didn't have anybody to connect with that would understand this feeling. The Grumpy Repat is actually a group on Facebook and it's a bunch of different people that have lived as expats that have returned to their home country. And they talk about reverse culture shock and what that means to them and what they're struggling with on any particular day. And it's just a place for us to vent or even just share what we miss about our host countries. And so I've found some solace and a lot of help in groups like that can identify with my feelings and, and validate them. Wish I had a group like the Grumpy Repat <laughs> when I came back. <laughs> I just... Yeah, all, all of the things that you're mentioning, I, you know, I was laughing because they, they sounded so familiar, yeah. resonated with me. I, I was mixing up French and Japanese in my yeah. mind and things <laughs> like that, linguistic difference. And yes, that sense that you've lost something when you come back because mm -hmm. you're not the same person that you were when you went because you have taken on these other things. And that struggle of finding that way to blend those parts of yourself and not letting all of that go because it, it is part of you at least having that group where you can get that support to right. talk with others who've gone mm -hmm. through those experiences and sharing that 
And now you've been back for at least a, a, a little while in the U.S. How are you finding ways to integrate that Turkish part? I'm still taking Turkish lessons. I was actually in Turkey during coronavirus at the height of it and when it started. So I do feel that my linguistic abilities there are not as strong as they should be just because we were quarantined. So I continue to take Turkish lessons online uh, just to keep up with that. As I said, I'm returning tomorrow just for a little while, just a quick little trip to reconnect with some of my old acquaintances and colleagues and I still have a flat there in Turkey that I can return to. So that makes me happy knowing that I still have something tangible that's in that space. I also enjoy social media because I, I can connect with previous students, but also I can share how I'm feeling. And I think that when you can voice anything about your experience, um, it endears you to other people. And uh, maybe indirectly, I might be helping somebody else that might be struggling with reverse culture shock. Like when they had, unfortunately, that horrendous earthquake earlier spring was religiously just sharing everything that I could to try and get people to donate and to recognize that this was a big thing, not just in Turkey, but in Syria too. And so I feel that when I can be an educator about Turkey or Turkish culture, whether it's me saying, oh, look, I made sarma tonight for dinner and sharing that, it still just helps me to stay connected with the country that I love so much. You've mentioned that you have, is it four young children? Yeah, I will say it was just me uh, and and the kids. My husband didn't want to join us, which which is totally fine. He he doesn't like to be outside of his comfort zone, but he didn't limit us from going, which I was really thankful for. He wanted us to have that experience. And so um, he allowed us to go. So what I did was I actually, I went first because like I said, I never met to Izmir. I had never seen our home or, or the school or anything like that. So in order to make it less scary for them. I wanted to make sure that everything was stable and good. So that way I can receive them and say, look, look where I live now. This is our school and this is the grocery store and this is where we're going to walk every day and these types of things. But it was really interesting because at the time, my daughter Lola was going into kindergarten. So she started kindergarten in Turkey. I had a second grader, fourth grade, and then seventh grade. I have one boy, Roman, and three girls, Lola, Poppy, and Naomi. And they were excited for the experience, but also very nervous too, because not only was their geographical location changing, but also their family dynamic. We went from a two-parent household to one-parent household, and they understood this. We talked them through it, and they understand that it was nothing bad, but also all good things. And so they went into it with an open mind too. It was full immersion. They attended the school that I taught at. I taught at a private K-12 school there. And so they were thrust into that environment. They didn't know any Turkish when they left. Everybody thinks, gosh, you're crazy to, to put your kids through that. But it was an experience for them. And one that probably most kids can't say that they moved to Turkey or any other location and, and had that experience. So now they have forever friends on other parts of the world. They understand the education system in Turkey. And a lot of Turkish language are still very much connected with it, just like me. They went through hardships as well with not be able to see their friends. Before they left, their friends and actually their teachers wrote them goodbye letters and threw them a farewell party and hoped to see them soon. So it was really interesting trying to maintain those connections while we were abroad, um, but then also too trying to be open-minded to these experiences as young people. And so my kids, we, we're a bilingual household. We speak Spanish and English here. They attend a dual immersion school here. So I think that background of language acquisition really helped them 
but Turkish is a completely different language. It's very different, but I think that they did a wonderful job and I will always be proud of their willingness to go and to explore and to meet new people and also to how to navigate, how do you interact with someone if you don't share a language? So they really developed in that regard too. That was part one of the conversation with Courtney Bailey, and part two is coming up next week, but I wanted to talk about ways to keep up to date on the show. To find out what the latest episodes will be and what's coming up, subscribe to Intercultural Insiders Info on LinkedIn. It's a LinkedIn newsletter. That's the best way to, to keep up to date. And speaking of which, part two with Courtney is coming up on Wednesday, August 2nd, 12 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And in that episode, there's a lot of talk about accent bias and native speakerism, which has been a question in not only the ESL community, but also into professional sphere as well, especially with English as a lingua franca. So we talk a lot about privilege and considering different perspectives that come with the classification of native speakers and non-native speakers, which are maybe not the best terms, but it's the terms that a lot of people understand. There is also the discussion about code switching in professional spaces and Courtney's perspectives on that. Also, using skills and privileges to give back to others through advocacy and mentorship. That's coming up next Wednesday, August 2nd, 12 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time here on LinkedIn Live, also on YouTube. And yes, you can catch the episodes also on the audio podcast. So until then, keep navigating your way between cultures towards your goals. Mm-hmm.